baristas began to tally each person who had paid it forward. And it got to 378 consecutive people in the drive-thru had paid it forward to the person coming up behind them. And then we don't know who it was. But customer number 379 declined to pay it forward. And so then the streak stopped. There's a pizza shop in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that gives thousands of people a chance to pay it forward every week. Customers at Rose's Fresh Pizza can um, purchase a slice of hot, fresh pizza for a dollar. And they know as they do that, that they're actually going to pay it forward to a homeless person. As they pay for that slice of pizza, instead of getting the pizza, they get a post-it note. And they put that post-it note right by the door on the wall and as they leave. And then homeless folks that are from that community can come in, take one of those post-it notes, and then redeem it for a nice slice of hot pizza. Philadelphia has some of the highest rates of poverty in the country. And as the owner said, it's just one small way for us to make a difference and to allow people to pay it forward. In a real way, uh, Grace Bible Church's annual bike rodeo is a way that we as a church family pay it forward to the Washington community around us. Provides a way for children to bring their bicycles in and have them tuned up so to make sure that they're safe. If they need a helmet, a bicycle helmet, they are given one of those. It's also an opportunity to get a free hot dog and a drink along with their parents and then be taught some fun bicycle safety tips in the obstacle course. They walk away with a free New Testament provided by the local Gideons and a bag of some other things that includes a gospel track and then also an invitation to say, hey, you're always welcome to come and visit Grace Bible Church. We'd love to have you as our guest. And all of that's free of charge. And that brings us to the most important way that you and I pay it forward. And that is as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I said, the whole concept of paying it forward is that having received a kindness, we now take that kindness and we pass it forward to somebody else. And when it comes to what we have received from the Lord, we've got a lot more than kindness to pass forward. You and I have received the unsurpassing love of God through Christ. You and I have received the grace and the mercy of God. You and I have received forgiveness from sin that is the result of Christ's work on the cross. We have received eternal life that is the result of Jesus' victory over death through his resurrection. And Jesus himself says, now pay it forward. Now you pay it forward. He tells us in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have received the love of God through the Christ and the gospel, and we pay it forward by sharing the love of God and the gospel with people around us. And what we're going to focus on this morning as a part of that is the fact that we begin that close up. We begin that within our own families. We begin that by passing on the gospel, passing on the faith to the children and the grandchildren that God has blessed us with. The next generation or the upcoming generations, as the book of as, uh, Psalm 78 
is going to say. In other words, we begin this sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at home. The primary responsibility for doing that actually does lie with parents and grandparents, and most of us understand that. One of the examples we see of that in Scripture is in the life of Timothy, Paul's young friend and protege. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul writes writes to Timothy and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy had a faith that was the result of being raised in a Christian home. He heard the gospel from his grandma and from his mom. And then Timothy embraced that faith himself. And so you see the three generations, grandma to mom to grandson to Timothy. And so the responsibility to to share the faith forward, to share the faith with the upcoming generations that are coming up after us starts with mom, dad, and grandparents. But also the church family has a responsibility as well. We are to be the cloud of witnesses that comes alongside and is a part of the the, the upcoming generations seeing Jesus Christ in through our lives and then hearing him through the teaching that we have as a church. We are all spiritual aunts and uncles to the children that are a part of our church family. Whether we're blood-related or not, we're related spiritually. And we're aunts and uncles to those upcoming generations that are around us that are here. And that's why we have a, a ministry to children. That's why we have a children's church. That's why we do VBS. That's why we are going to have Sunday school. It's the fact that we as a church also have a place in which we are to be making this spiritual investment into the next generations. And we're going to see that in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, and it's Psalm 78. So if you would turn there, please. Psalm 78. Perhaps the clearest passage in Scripture that talks about this responsibility and opportunity that we have to be sharing with the upcoming generations the saving work of Jesus Christ in the truths of God's Word. So Psalm 78, and we're just going to look at the first seven verses together this morning. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So, let's looking at this psalm, let's answer a couple of questions. And first of all, who in the world is Asaph? You know, David's not the author here. We're, we're told that this is a mask. Oh, that's some sort of liturgical or some sort of, of, a, of a musical notation. We're not exactly sure what it means. But then we're told that the author of this is this guy named Asaph. Now, Asaph was a man that had been appointed by King David to this ministry that included writing some of the Psalms. 
When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and established the tabernacle there, making Jerusalem the center of worship for the nation of Israel, he also um, named a number of Levites and assigned them as worship leaders of the tabernacle. And Asaph was one of these men. In fact, he was the key leader of this group. It says that David appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And Asaph was the chief, or he was in charge, or he was the leader of this group. Like David, Asaph was a gifted writer and poet. Like David, he was also a gifted songwriter. The Psalm 78 originally would have been sung. He also was a gifted teacher. And on top of that, he was a prophet of God. And as we look at Psalm 78, even these first few verses here, we're going to see all of these roles come together. Why did he write it? What place does Psalm 78 have here? Well, as the nation of Israel unites under the rule of David, and as David has made uh, Jerusalem the center of worship and brought the tabernacle there, later the tabernacle will be replaced by the great temple of Solomon in the next generation. But now they've got a tent. They've got the tabernacle there with the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the center of worship is. And so as they're doing this, Asaph wants to encourage the people of God, the Jews, that they are to remain faithful to God and faithful to His Word. And also, they have the responsibility of passing that faith and the teaching of God onto the next generations. It's interesting, as we look at Psalm 78, I'm not going to mention this as we go through, but there are five generations that are mentioned here. And so as he's talking to this generation of adults, he is saying, Think about five generations out. What you do today will spiritually impact them. As generation to generation to generation, you pass on what I'm about to tell you to do. And so he writes it with the goal that is found in verse 7. He says in verse 7, so that they, that is the children, the generations to come, that they should set their hope in God. That's the purpose. That the generations to come will set their hope in God. And if they set their hope in God, they will not forget the works of God. And they will keep His commandments. But the focus here is they will set their hope in God. And we'll talk a little bit about what, exactly what that means here in just a few moments. As we go through these seven verses, Asaph is actually going to give us a three-part statement. He's going to give us a three-part statement. He's going to say, what God has given to us, we now share with the coming generations, so they will put their hope in God. What God has given to us, we now share with the coming generations, so they will put their hope in God. And so, Asaph, as as we get ready to start, is very important. This is not a psalm that was written to parents. This is a psalm that was written to the nation of Israel as as, as a whole, as a congregation. And as we look at it today in the context here of the 21st century as the church, Asaph is talking to us as a congregation. He's talking to us as a church family. 
And so with all that in mind, let's take a look at this statement that Asaph is going to make as he works his way through these verses. And he's going to start with what God has shared with us. What God has shared with us, and that's actually in verse 5. It says that, he, that is, God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. He established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel. There's two things that God has shared with us. The first is that he has established a testimony in, ja- in Jacob, and here's what that means. God has established a testimony of his redeeming love and salvation. God has established a testimony of his redeeming love and salvation. And that's the testimony of Jacob. This verse points back to a very specific moment in Jewish history. It's pointing back to when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And that Ten Commandments served as a summary of the commandments that he was going to proceed to give to the nation of Israel. And he starts in Exodus 20, before he starts with the Ten Commandments, he says this, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's so important to note that before God gives them the law, before he gives them commands, he reminds them of everything he's done for them. He reminds them that he is the God who brought them out of slavery. He is the God who brought deliverance. He is the God who brought salvation. That he has already shown them love and salvation. And it is out of that that he's going to say, now here's what I want you to do. He does not start with the doing. He does not start with the commands. He starts with his work and his love and what he has done for us. He had brought the ten plagues that brought the deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. He had saved them from the angel of death as the firstborn of every Egyptian household had been killed. He had parted the Red Sea and delivered them from the Egyptian army. He had brought manna in the morning that they could gather on the ground. He brought water out of a rock that they could drink. And that's just the beginning of what he's going to do for them. And he says, right off the top, remember, before I give you any commands, just remember... All the things, the love and the salvation that I have shown you. It's important to remember that as we look at it in our context, God fulfilled what that was a shadow of what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. It was a shadow of what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. And so as we look back into the New Testament, we know that God has demonstrated his love and his salvation to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says in 1 John 4, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or a payment for our sins. 
Something that's important to note as we start through here, and this is why it's so important to recognize that as God's giving the Ten Commandments, he starts with this idea of, hey, but remember how much I love you and I've, uh, and I've provided for you and I've saved you is because if our children are going to grow up and come to a point where they will love and follow God, it will not be because of what they've been told to do. It's going to be because they're responding to the love of God in their lives. If children are going to grow up to follow and love God, it's because they've come to understand what God has done for them, and it's a response of love to how God has loved them first. And so having started by reminding Israel of his love and salvation from Egypt, now God God goes on and says, I've also shared with you my word. I've also shared with you my word. And his word reveals who God is, but it also reveals the design and purpose of this life that he's given to us. And in Psalm 78, he calls this the appointed law in Israel. It's the word of God. Starting there, back in Exodus chapter 20, and then in verse 3, God indeed gives them the Ten Commandments, which is that summary of the commandments that he's going to give throughout the Old Testament. And as he gives us this word, as he gives us what we know as the Bible, we need to understand that the primary reason that God gave us the Bible was to reveal himself. It's to reveal himself. We can't know who God is if God doesn't tell us. We can see in creation itself there is a God, but we cannot know who he is unless he speaks and he has spoken. And what we have is his spoken word written down in what we call the Bible. And the reason, the primary reason God gave us this was not as a book of rules. It was not as a book of behavior. It was a book of revelation that says, this is who I am. And this is what I have done. Then as, he, as we get into the Word, the, the Bible does reveal the design and purpose of this life that He's given to us. What makes something right or wrong is simply whether it fits the design of God or not. And God designed everything about life with purpose. Can you remember listening to a podcast a number of years ago, except I guess it wasn't a podcast. We used to call those radio teaching shows. Anyway, I was listening, and it was somebody that that specialized in being on college campuses, and yes, he was talking about same-sex relationships. And this is at a secular university, and so he's getting pounded with some of these questions. And he was the first one that I, that I, I saw, or heard, I should say, start going down this path. And he said, here's the thing, let's start from the beginning. And he began to talk about who God was and why the fact that God had created male and female reflected who God is, why he, the, the fact that he, that he uh, designed relationships a certain way reflected who God is. And he just kept going down the line. The purpose of why God designed what he designed, the purpose of why God is commanded while he's commanded. And so he said, it is not that I want to sit there and say what you're doing is evil. It is what you're doing is outside of the, de- out of the design of God. And therefore it misses the mark. And he said, your life will never be more full than if you decide that you will trust God and live by his, by his design. And I thought, that's it. 
The reason we follow the Word of God is because it reveals who God is, and the design of life that He has given to us is a reflection of who He is, and it fulfills the purpose that He has behind creation and life. And so God has given us His Word. It reveals who He is. It reveals the design for life. And as we live according to God's Word, and we not only fulfill those purposes, but we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. In the words of John Piper, as he's talking about the Bible, he says, We have a God-given compass that keeps us from being lost in the forest of our culture's confusion. Now that that's great. It doesn't deliver us so much from evil or wickedness as much as it delivers us from confusion. And it gives us like a compass true north in which we can live our lives. And so which, this is what he's commanded our fathers to teach to their children then. The fact that he has established a testimony of redeeming love and salvation. And he has given to us his word which reveals who he is and the design and purpose of the life that, we're, that he has given us to live. And now, the second part of the statement is now we share that with the coming generations. Now we share that with the coming generations. Look in verse number 1. He says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. There's a sense in this verse of urgency and intentionality. The idea of give ear is actually a word picture that is cupping your hand to your ear like this so that you can hear more clearly. As I get older, I find myself doing that quite a bit. But it's cupping your ear, and the idea behind it is Remove distractions and focus in. Remove distractions, focus in. And then he takes another step and he says, incline your ears. That means lean in close. And that carries the idea of having a desire to listen and to learn. Remove the distractions, focus in with the heart's desire to learn and to understand, to listen. You see, Asaph wants these younger generations to listen not just with their minds, but with their hearts. He wants us to listen not only with our minds, but with our hearts. With that desire to hear what God has had to say and to learn from it. And so then he goes on and, 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 and he is saying that he teaches in parables and dark sayings. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Parable here, we've talked, in fact, we're in the middle of a series on on the parables of Jesus. Now, Jesus used parables, there were stories, but he used them to create questions that would lead people to respond. And if they were interested, they would respond with a a question back. If not, they would walk away. But the parable that we're talking about here is a little different. This idea of a parable are stories and illustrations that actually connect the Bible to real life. They are stories and illustrations that help connect the Bible to real life. Many times, as we're teaching the Word of God, we can use stories from the Bible to explain principles of the Bible. The older, old guys that I first learned from used to say, whenever possible, illustrate the Bible with the Bible. What they meant was, if you have a principle of God's Word, look for a story in God's Word or a person in God's Word that can illustrate that. 
An example of being able to use Scripture that way is you go to Philippians chapter 4, 1, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord's always. And again, I say rejoice. And we can look at that and some of the things that can happen in life, and we can say, you mean always? <laughs> always, always? And we can look, well, you know, does Paul really know what he's talking about there? And Paul would say, well, actually, I wrote that verse under the inspiration of Scripture, but also out of personal experience. And we go to Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are arrested in the city of Philippi and thrown into the deepest dungeon where they are in shackles laying in six inches of water in the lowest part of the prison. They're watching rats swim by. And we're told that in this situation, that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And so Paul would say, yeah, always means always. God can meet you in the darkest places. And so as we teach the Bible, one goal is to connect biblical truth and principles to real life in situations. And then there's dark sayings. That means to bring light and understanding to God's Word. To bring light and understanding to God's Word. To explain God's Word in a way that brings understanding to the people that we're teaching. Ezra is a great example of that in the Old Testament. Ezra is, is sort of my role model of being a Bible teacher. Love Ezra. He was a key teacher of Israel as they're coming back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity. And in Ezra chapter 7, it says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of God, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What a great job description for a teacher. Whether you're a parent teaching your children, or whether you're teaching in the, in the context of a church ministry, first of all, we need to know and understand God's word ourselves. Secondly, we need to be living it. Then we teach it. And it's a great job description of a biblical teacher. Know it, live it, teach it. It says in Nehemiah that about Ezra and the other teachers that were working with them that they read from the book the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And so we are to teach with the goal of bringing understanding and of bringing application, of bringing connection to real life. And as we do this, we're actually continuing the spiritual heritage and teaching from generations past to our generation to the generation to come. He says that we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. And like I said, as you read then through verse 6, you realize he's talking about five generations down the road. So what God has shared with us we now share with the coming generations. His testimony of love and salvation, his word that reveals himself and life as he has designed it, we teach with, to bring understanding, we teach to bring application, so they will set their hope in God. So they will set their hope in God. You look at verse 7, so that they will set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The ultimate goal for teaching the Bible to the coming generations is to see them place their confidence and their trust in the Lord. To see them place their confidence and trust in the Lord. You see, teaching is a lot more than Bible stories. It's a lot more than what you need to believe. It's a lot more than how you are to behave. 
It is the heart that we are to have towards God in relationship to Him. And that means confidence and trust. To set means to take someone and put it in its proper place. And hope is the idea of confidence and trust. And so we want children and grandchildren, the generations to come, to put their hope, to put their confidence and trust in the right place. And that's with God. And that's with God. You know, ever since Genesis chapter 3, the strategy of Satan is to get people to question God. It starts with Eve. Did God really say that? Does God really have your best interest in heart? Isn't it because he doesn't want you to compete with him and know the, uh, the difference between good and evil for yourself? And then Eve questioned God and stepped right into sin. They still try to get people to question God's goodness and in intentions. They question why God's ways are better anyway. They question why is it really necessary? If God is loved, does he really care? And ultimately, they want you to question whether God actually exists. Satan specializes in getting people to question God. Everyone puts their confidence and trust in someone. Everybody puts their confidence and trust in something. Everybody. And Satan in this world offer a number of alternatives that you can choose from. It's a drop list. No, I'm not going to waste time. You know what they are. But one thing that is not on Satan's in the world's list is God and his word. Now, all of this was true when Asaph wrote Psalm 78. It's not new. And so as he gives this instruction and exhortation, this is still true and it is still valid and it still works. Looking at the coming generations, looking at our children and grandchildren, looking at our spiritual nephews and nieces that we have in this church family, we have to have an urgency and an intentionality to want to draw their attention away from the world and to place it upon God and to place it upon his word. We want them to incline their ear. We want to teach them the word of God so that they understand it and can connect it to real life. We want to share the testimony of God's love and salvation, both as it's revealed in his word and as we are living it out in our lives. Because our lives are a testimony of the saving love and work of God as well. We want to teach the Bible in a way that it reveals who God is and the wonderful character of who He is and the design and the purpose of this life that He's given to us that explains the whys of God's Word. And then we will prayerfully encourage them to take all of that and set their hope in God. Take all of that and set their hope in God. It begins as they place saving faith in Jesus Christ. The first significant step of setting your hope in God is faith in Christ and his saving work. The forgiveness and the life that we can receive through him. And then their journey with God will continue and grow as they they do not forget the works of God, but they keep his commandments.
Sometimes we can be teaching the Bible like if you obey it, then you'll know God. But Asaph reverses it. You need to know God and experience His love and then you'll understand more fully why you should obey it. It's relationship first. Obedience comes. And they walk with God in loving obedience to His Word. So let me close by asking a couple of questions. First of all, who are some of the people who have invested in your spiritual life, through your life? Some of you starts all the way back with your grandparents and parents. People that spoke in your life as you were going through the wonderful years of adolescence. The people that have spoken into your life continuously as adults. Who's God sent into your life? to invest in you spiritually. And then a second question is, who has God placed in your life to invest in? Who's God placed in your life to invest in? Who does he want you to pay it forward to? In your families? In our church family? You know, one of the things that you, you may have noticed as you see different information about the ministry to children that we've been talking about, including Sunday school, is why, why are you calling it ministry to children instead of children's ministry? And there's a reason for that. It's intentional. Too often when we think about children's ministry, we think of a program with a select number of people who are responsible to make it happen that there's a select group of people who are responsible to invest in the lives of children. But when we think about our ministry to children, it carries the idea that all of us have a part of investing in the lives of the children around us. All kinds of different ways to do it. That's Asaph's whole point. It's a community thing. And so we say we have a ministry to children that we all can have a part in. And how can I be a part of this ministry to children at Grace Bible Church? I'm really glad you're asking that question. We'd like you to take out that green insert that was in the Bible. The green insert that was in the, I'm sorry, the Bible, the bulletin this morning. The bulletin is something less than the Bible. I do want to clarify that. That was in your bulletin this morning. There are a variety of ways that you can be involved in ministering to children. There are a variety of talents and gifts, some that you wouldn't even think of that can be used in this ministry. There are different time commitments that are involved. There are regular ongoing ministries like Sunday school, like children's church, like nursery. But there are also events and just moments in time where you can step in and get involved. Sometimes we need somebody that's available and able to step in at a last minute, like someone wasn't able to come in to staff nursery in the morning, and you can step in and do that. Other times, you will know ahead of time the things that you will be doing. And we need prayer warriors as well. And in the months ahead, we are hoping to add some layers to our ministry to children that includes more outreach into the community. There's already perking some ideas of some things that we might be able to do in the fall periodically that will be an event where we can invite children in, children we've contacted through the bike rodeo, through VBS, to have ongoing interaction with. And we're excited about that. 
And there is a, a team of, of people that have come together as the children's ministry team that are overseeing what we're doing, and they're going to be involved in helping develop and plan for what's to come. That team consists of Maureen Eisenberg, uh, Rebecca Clark, Lisa Collins, and Jenny Lehman, and I'd invite you to pray for them. But I would really encourage you to fill out the green slip and just turn it in. Give it to me. You can put it in the back because we, you're not obligating to anything, but it starts there. It gives the opportunity for us to have a conversation and say, what are some ways that given your talents and your time availability and what God's putting on your heart, can you be involved in our ministry to children? And it'll start if you just let us know that you're willing to entertain that conversation and to prayerfully consider what might God have, what part God might have for you. Whether it's ongoing, regular, whether it's periodic, or whether it's just on call. And so if you would give prayerful thought to that, that would be great. And we are so looking forward to everything that God's going to do in this next season as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with him and we pay it forward, sharing it with the generations that are to come, the children who are already here, the grandchildren that are already here, and the children who are not here yet. But God is going to send. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for all of those who've invested in our lives over the day, the years of our lives, children, teenagers, adults. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to invest in the spiritual lives of others, including the coming generations, Lord. Would you continue to um, raise up workers? Would you continue, Lord, to bring about your desires and, and your plans that we would be investing in these children's lives in just the way that you have for Grace Bible Church as a church family. And Lord, we will be sure to trust you for it, to depend on you for it, and to give you the glory for it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.